This morning's scripture before John's message comes from Psalm 22, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 22, 1 through 8. If you're using the red uh, Bible in the pew in front of you, that is on page 457. The Bible says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you were holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In your fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. I know it's been a difficult week for most of us, if not all of us, in some ways, and to varying degrees, you're dealing with kind of the aftermath and fallout of all kinds of disasters. I want to say thank you to everyone, because I know that there has been a lot of, of interest in each other's lives. A lot of you housed um, other families in your homes that, if you still had electricity this week and others didn't, this is the way Christians ought to treat each other. And it's a wonderful thing to see when God's people love each other, when they're concerned about each other, and concerned about your neighbors, the people that live nearby, the people that are close to us geographically. I know there's been a lot that's been done this week in the Lord's service. If it weren't for trials, we wouldn't need one another, and we certainly wouldn't need God. If it weren't for sin, we wouldn't need God. And so when things like this happen, as difficult and and discouraging sometimes as the things we experience are, they can help us to draw near to Him. With that in mind, let's just spend a little bit of time in prayer. Would you bow with me? Our holy and righteous God and Savior, we come into Your presence this morning and we worship You and we honor You and we exalt You for all that You are and for all that You do. We're thankful, God, that you have carried us through the trials of this week. We're thankful, Father, that, that you have blessed us in so many ways. And, Father, we know that there are people that are hurting even in this assembly. We pray, Father, that you comfort and strengthen them. And more than that, Father, that you help us to see opportunities to be a comfort and strength to others. We pray, Father, for those that are our neighbors around us, those that are without food, without water, those that are still cold. We pray, Father, that you'll bless them and help us to find opportunities to bless them. Thank you, God, so much for Jesus and for what he endured for us. As we think about him and his cross this morning, Father, we pray that you'll help us to be reminded of what truly matters, of what's truly important, and help us to be a light to the world around us. It's through him we pray these things. Amen. If you don't already have your Bible open to Psalm 22, please go ahead and open it at this time. You can just leave Psalm 22 open on your lap. That's going to be our message this morning. Psalm 22, 23, and 24, those three chapters, they kind of go together. And they have to do with the Lord, our shepherd. 
Psalm 22 presents Jesus as the good shepherd. The good shepherd, Jesus said, is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. John chapter 10, verse 11. Psalm 23 presents Jesus as the great shepherd. You'll never find a better shepherd than Jesus Christ. And Psalm 23, verse 1 begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, calls Jesus the great shepherd. So who is Jesus? He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. Who is Jesus? He's the great shepherd who guides us in every circumstance. Psalm 24, who is Jesus? He's the chief shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, writing to elders, God says that elders ought to serve as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, because he's the king, he's in charge, he's in authority. And when we think about who Jesus is, Psalm 22 deals with him laying down his life for us. Psalm 23 deals with his guidance and provision for us. And Psalm 24 deals with his authority over us. Who is the king? Who is the one that we ought to honor and exalt? It's Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. With that in mind, let's look this morning at Psalm 22. And I want us to think about the good shepherd. Psalm 22 was written about, give or take a decade or so, 1,000 years before Jesus was born. That's when King David lived, and David is the author, the human author of this psalm. But as you study the psalm and its 31 verses, you'll find that it accurately predicts and prophesies the suffering of not just David in his time, but of the son of David, Jesus Christ, in his time, a thousand years later. And it's amazing to contemplate and to think about how God in his infinite wisdom and his miraculous ability could look through the stream of time and could see the suffering of Jesus a thousand years before it ever happened and could accurately predict some of the things that would happen to him. And it's a rewarding and a rich and a humbling study to spend time thinking about the words of Psalm 22. I propose we do that this morning. You know, David was a shepherd, and then he became a king. Jesus is a better king and a better shepherd than David ever was. And Psalm 22, if it's about anything, is about Jesus. As you look at Psalm 22, I'd like for you to notice that it breaks really into two parts. The first part is found in verses 1 through 21. 1 through 21. And in verse 21, you've got a transition. But in verses 1 through 21, it's about the suffering, about the agony of the cross. Verses 1 through 21, it's about the suffering and the agony of the cross. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But then, beginning in verse 22 through the end of the psalm, it also deals with the victory of the cross. It deals with the people who belong to God through Jesus Christ, and it deals with the nations of the world. And so the psalm really breaks into two parts, but we're going to break it into three parts as we study it this morning. And I'd like for us to do it this way. I'd like for us to think about, first of all, as we think about Jesus, the prophecy of the cross. The prophecy of what Jesus endured at the cross 
And then we're going to talk about his agony and why it was so intensely painful for him to deal with and endure what he did. And then we'll talk about that victory that we mentioned just a moment ago in verses 21 through 31. With all that in mind, let's talk about the prophecies of the cross. Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As you think about what Jesus endured at the cross a thousand years after these words were written, it's amazing the parallels, and they're not coincidental, that you find between these two passages in Scripture. Psalm 22, verse 1, is exactly what Jesus prayed. You know, Jesus prayed seven times, or spoke seven times from the cross. Three of those were prayers. And the, right in the middle, the fourth thing that Jesus said from the cross was this. In Matthew 27, verse 46, as Jesus had been suffering for a time, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a sense of emptiness and a sense of loneliness and a sense of forsakenness that Jesus experienced as he suffered on the cross. I'm fascinated as I read Psalm 22 and as I read the experience of Jesus on the cross, I'm fascinated that one of the reasons why Jesus suffered was because of the silence of God. The silence of God. Have you ever been enduring a difficult challenge, a difficult circumstance, maybe a difficult person, and you pray about that circumstance, you pray about that pain and that challenge, and it just seems like there's no answer? And maybe you pray and you pray and you pray, and you're looking for God's deliverance, and you're looking for things to get better, and it just doesn't get better. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus was offering in Psalm 27, excuse me, in Matthew 27, verse 46, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? When are you going to deliver me? I trust you, God. I believe that you love me and I believe that you care about me. Why have you forsaken me? The silence of God. The fact that he didn't answer. It led to the suffering and the pain that Jesus endured. But not only that, as you look at Psalm chapter 22, notice this. In verse 2. The Bible says, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season and am not silent, day and night. And as you think about what happened at the cross, the Bible says that Jesus was crucified about the third hour of the day. That is, he was crucified about nine o'clock in the morning. And the Bible says that about the sixth hour of the day, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. For six hours, Jesus suffered on that cross, and the first three hours, he suffered in the light. And then the last three hours, he suffered in the darkness. In the day, I cry to you. In the night, I call out to you. And still there's silence, and still there's no answer. And still I suffer. It's a picture of Jesus and what he endures. Consider this as you look at Psalm 22 and verse 6. There is what some people call the forgotten I am of Jesus Christ. As you read the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am. It's a famous theme through the book of John. Jesus tells us who he is, and he uses the phrase, I am, dot, 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 in order to help us understand who he is. And so, for example, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
John chapter 6, verse 48. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the door. No one enters the sheepfold except by me. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the good shepherd, as we've talked about already. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus is saying, I am these things. The door, the, the good shepherd, I am these things. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Jesus? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, verse 6. I am the true vine, and you are the branches. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am, seven times in the Gospel of John. But when you look at Psalm 22, verse 6, prophetically, David writes this about Jesus. Look at it, Psalm 22, verse 6. What's the I am? I am a worm. What does that mean? You know, there's a song in our songbook that people have rewritten over the years. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? That's the way it originally read. And now we've got it written for such a one as I, because somebody thought that was just too offensive to call myself a worm, to degrade myself that way. But that's what Jesus says about himself in Psalm 22, verse 6. What does that mean? I am a worm. Well, look at the passage. I am a worm and no man. I am despised. I am dejected. Nobody thinks too much about worms. You see worms on the ground. People trample them underfoot. Nobody takes much special concern for worms. We dig them up and we put them on fish hooks so that we can catch fish. Nobody thinks very highly of worms. And as Jesus thinks about what he's experiencing on the cross, he's able to say, I am a worm. I'm poorly thought of. I'm despised. I'm trampled underfoot. That's who I am. The forgotten I am. As you think about what Jesus experienced on the cross, look at Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let God rescue him. Let God deliver him, since he delights in him. You know, in Psalm 22, you've got a prophecy, not just of what Jesus experienced, but you've got a prophecy of what people would literally say with their mouths at the cross. And you can look at Matthew 27, verses 39 through 43, and you can read that these are the exact same words that the enemies of Jesus, the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, they said these things about him. Even if you could grant for a minute that Jesus was intentionally fulfilling Scripture, fulfilling prophecy by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and these other things, how do you explain that God could look down through the stream of history and he could see a thousand years early what even the enemies would say about Jesus? The prophecy of the cross, consider this in Psalm 22, verses 14 and 15. David writes these words, I am poured out like water. 
and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. When I read those verses, I'm reminded of the physical agony and suffering of crosses. Did you know that they've actually done studies of why people died on crosses? And there are a number of reasons why someone might die if you were crucified. Crucifixion was horrible. It was intense agony and suffering. It was the most diabolical way that the Romans could conceive of. And they were pretty diabolical in all their methods. It was the worst that they could conceive of to cause somebody to suffer. And the reasons why people died on the cross, someone who was crucified might die for a number of reasons. They might die because of blood loss, because they just kept on bleeding and bleeding and bleeding until they had no more blood in their bodies. They might have died because of exposure. Think about this. It gets kind of cold in places like Jerusalem. And to be hung on a cross with no clothing, some people died of exposure. Some people died of asphyxiation. That is, they couldn't breathe physically because of what happens with your hands and how your chest is constricted when you're hanging on a cross. And so some people just couldn't breathe physically. They couldn't pull themselves up. And that's why they finally expired. Some people died of dehydration. Because of loss of fluids, because of long-term exposure to the elements, and when you read Psalm, Psalm 22, verses 14 and 15, it seems to be dehydration that really is emphasized. I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. When you look at what Jesus went through as he went to the cross, I've done some calculations in my own study, and I'm pretty sure that Jesus did not sleep a wink for at least 36 hours before he went to trial. 36 hours. You know, most of us probably had a hard time sleeping earlier this week when the power was out, when it was cold in our homes, had a difficult time sleeping. What does that do to your mental state? What does that do to your attitude? Jesus went 36 hours. He endured scourging. He endured mocking. He endured torture of the worst kind. And yet Jesus endured perfectly without sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. And it's remarkable that one of the last things Jesus said before he gave up his spirit was, I thirst. John 19, verse 28. This psalm prophesies what Jesus would endure. One more. Look at Psalm 22, verse 18. In Psalm 22, verse 18, they, de they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is exactly what was fulfilled in Matthew 27, verse 35. So don't read Psalm 22 only with David's perspective. You have to read Psalm 22 as a prophecy of what Jesus would endure as he suffered and died for you and for me. Now notice this secondly, as you think about the cross, the agony of it, the agony of it. Sometimes in the movies, 
when somebody is questioning somebody and evil, vile people, and they'll say, if you'll just answer my questions, I'll put you out of your misery. You won't have to suffer any longer. Things like that. People say those kinds of things. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to suffer? Why it was necessary for him to suffer and to suffer and to suffer some more before he died? I mean, why not just bring death quickly without much pain, without much difficulty? Why not, why not die that way? Psalm 22 gives some hints in answer to that. Why did Jesus suffer so greatly? Look at verse 3, Psalm 22. But you are holy. Speaking to God, you are holy. Why did God suffer, or why did Jesus suffer so greatly on the cross? One reason is because, of he, because he was enduring the wrath of a holy God. The wrath of a holy God. The Bible indicates in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What that means is that God laid upon Jesus, he laid upon his shoulders, he put upon his account, if you will, the iniquity of us all. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. That Jesus vicariously suffered because God cannot be in the presence of sin and sin demands a penalty. Sin demands a death. And so when we ask the question, why did Jesus suffer? Why did he endure as much as he endured? Why was it necessary for him to suffer? And even Jesus said repeatedly that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to endure these things. Why? So that he might bring us to God, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He suffered because of the wrath of a holy God. Not only that, why did he suffer so greatly? Because of the anger of wicked men. Read Psalm 22 and notice the animals in Psalm 22. When you look at verse 12, you've got bulls. Strong bulls have surrounded me. And then in verse 13, it changes. Now it's lions. Lions with roaring mouths. And then when you get down to verse 18, or excuse me, verse 16, dogs. Not cute little puppy dogs, but the kind of dogs like junkyard dogs. You don't want to get close to that. You don't want any part of it. Bulls. Lions and dogs have surrounded me. Who's he talking about? Well, verse 16 tells you his enemies, the congregation, the group, the people that are there around the cross, they're like a bunch of bulls charging at someone they're angry with. They're like a bunch of lions roaring with their mouths. They are like dogs, a pack of wild dogs. And what's being emphasized, brothers and sisters and friends, is this, the inhumanity of what was happening. They're not even like people. They're like animals. The way that they're treating me, the way that they're saying what they say and the way that they're doing what they do, they're inhumane. And it says something about human nature that Jesus was not the only one who ever experienced man's inhumanity to man. You don't have to look very far back in history to see people like the Germans in Nazi Germany 
and the way that they treated their victims. The inhumanity of it all, the complete lack of remorse, lack of conscience. And I read what people said there at the cross, and I, I see them mocking Jesus, and I've always been perplexed. How can people be so hard of heart that they can look at a dying man, whatever he's dying for, whatever he is being sentenced to and being, and, and being crucified for, how can you look at a, another human being and mock them as they die? How can you do that? They're like bulls. They're like lions. They're like a pack of wild dogs. The agony of Jesus Peter would say this on the day of Pentecost. He said, This Jesus, by God's determined purpose and foreknowledge, you have taken with lawless hands and have crucified. Acts 2, verse 23. You've put him to death. Why did Jesus suffer so greatly? Verses 6 through 8. The relentless attacks of Satan. My son Daniel is now taller than me, bigger than me. When he was younger... Because little boys like to do this. When he was younger, I used to say to Daniel, all right, hit me in the shoulder. Give me your best shot. And he'd, he'd rear back and he'd hard as he could. I don't say that to him anymore. Give me your best shot. I'm, I'm more brittle than I used to be. I don't say that to him anymore. When Jesus was crucified, Satan gave Jesus his absolute best shot. It is as if Satan pulled back his arm and punched as hard as he possibly could because what Satan wanted from Jesus was that he would give in, that he would say one sinful thing, that he would think one sinful thought, that he would commit one sinful action on the cross and everything would be lost. And so Satan hit Jesus as hard as Jesus could possibly be hit. That's why the Bible says that Jesus understands what you and I go through. He knows what it's like to be you and me. Because Jesus has endured more suffering and more temptation than anybody else who's ever lived. His suffering was unique in that regard. In Hebrews 4 verse 15, it says that he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. The relentless attacks of Satan. Give me your best shot. Jesus took the blow, and Jesus survived. He died on the cross, and he endured and won the victory by not sinning. The agony of the cross is brought out in Psalm 22. But not only that, after this suffering, after all of what's being described in Psalm 22, why, what Jesus experienced for us on the cross, at the end of verse 21, in the New King James Translation at least, there's this little phrase, you have answered me. You've answered me. And then there is a song of victory. And the song of victory breaks down into two parts, the victory of the cross. It breaks down into two parts. In verses 22 through 26, okay, look at verses 22 through 26. As we think prophetically about Jesus, Psalm 22, verses 22 through 26, deals with Jesus among his people, among his brethren. You see those words, the congregation, the assembly, my brethren, I will declare you among your brethren, my brethren. So verses 22 through 26 deals with Jesus and his victory among his brethren. And then verses 27 through 31 deals with the nations. Those that don't listen, those that have not obeyed, 
those that need to know God and need to submit to his rule. Notice the victory of the cross. As you look at the passage, you'll find, first of all, you have answered me, verse 21. And now there's a transition. In Psalm 22, verse 22, the Bible says, I will declare your name, God, to my brethren. In the mouth of Jesus, this is actually quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Hebrews 2 talks about how Jesus became a little lower than the angels so that he might taste death for everyone. He became a man so that he could go through this and endure this for you and me. And when he died, he won the victory. And now Jesus is about the mission and the ministry of declaring God's name among his brethren, you and me, other people. The prophetic ministry of Jesus. The fact that Jesus came not just to suffer and die, but Jesus came to reveal who God is. He came to reveal God's truth and God's word to us. That's what's being emphasized here. What did Jesus win at the cross? He is God's prophet. The one who speaks for God. The one who perfectly reveals God in every way. But what else did Jesus accomplish at the, at the cross? As you read on in Psalm 22, look at verses 25 and 26. It says in verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek God will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. You have the language of the temple here. Paying vows, praising and worshiping God, making sacrifices. What has Jesus done by virtue of what he accomplished on the cross, he is not only God's prophet, but he is God's chosen high priest. He is the only one who can give you and me access to God. He's the only one through whom we can come into the very presence of God. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. He's the only one who is a qualified high priest. And it's because of the cross that he can be that. Now look at verses 27 through 31. The passage deals with a kingdom. It deals with God's rule over the nations. It deals with God's judgment and authority. Who is Jesus? He's a prophet. He reveals God. Who is Jesus? He's a priest. He's the one who gives us access to God. If we'll humble ourselves and submit to his will and obey his word, because of the cross, Jesus can give us access. Who is Jesus? He's the king. He's the one to whom all people owe their allegiance and before whom one, everyone will give an account. Every one of us will give an account for how we've lived our lives, what we've done, what we've chosen. Jesus is the king. When you read Psalm 22, you see the agony and the suffering of the cross. And then you see the implications of the cross. And brothers and sisters and friends, if we're wise this morning, we'll spend time thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done and what he accomplished for us and how we ought to respond in loving, submissive obedience to him. And the way that we do that is by participating in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Romans 6 verses 3 through 6 tells us that it's through baptism that we encounter the saving blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection power of God. Believe in Jesus, confess his name, repent of your sin, be baptized. If you need to make that commitment this morning or if you'd like to respond and you want to ask for prayers, won't you make your need known while together we stand and sing this invitation song.